Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. And if you want to support the show, please check out our merch store at etsy.com shop slash beyondblathers to see the stickers and postcards we have for sale. And tell your friends about us. So this week, Olivia is going to be telling us about the spiny lobster. Yeah, this is a creature you can find in the game if you go diving, which is appropriate because that is, I think, from what I could gather, how people will recreationally dive for spiny lobster, like to eat, or like they'll put down like lobster traps. But I think it's kind of fun that in the game, that's how you get them. Yeah, I'm excited for this. I feel like we haven't done a sea creature in a while. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, we should... Yeah, let's do this today. Great. Well, before we get into it, let's see what Blathers has to say about the spiny lobster. So if you bring a spiny lobster to Blathers, he'll say, It is the spiny lobster's lengthy antenna that helps set it apart from other lobsters. Those two antennae can grow twice as long as a lobster's own body. And what a clever crustacean it is, having found a way to use those antennae as a means of defense. When the spiny lobster senses danger, it rubs its antennae across its exoskeleton. The horrid screeching sound frightens predators away. If someone scratched nails across a chalkboard in your direction, I dare say you'd run too. <laughs> I like the image of like someone just scratching a chalkboard in like an intimidating way. Like they just stare you down as they like <laughs> run their nails across a chalkboard. Yeah. I've been running this like little field trip program for grade six and seven students to come out to UBC, um, the University of British Columbia, where I'm a master's student. And like they do a little science experiment with a PhD candidate who studies bees. And then I work with them and we create a choose your own adventure story, which is really fun. And they get to like, as a group, come up with their own species, like a make-believe species of animal and so we talk about like what habitat does it live in and what adaptations does it have and they just are so creative and funny with them (laughs) and I do feel like scratching nails across the chalkboard as like an intimidation strategy would be a really good adaptation for one of these like make-believe creatures yeah you'll have to suggest that one (laughs) I'll suggest it but yeah there have been some really the first one was the quacken quacken (laughs) so it's like a duck kraken creature that was like a duck on top and then it had tentacles it was just great they're just really cute (laughs) (laughs) amazing honestly the creativity of like kids is amazing totally but sorry back to this final oh yeah well it's funny because I was The other things I was reading about the lobster, they were like, yeah, like the worst they can do to you is kind of like poke you because they're kind of (laughs) sharp. So (laughs) I like that this is like its main thing, but it's kind of interesting because they're not they're not like regular. Like, what do you think of when you think of lobster? Because they don't have claws, at least like not in their four legs. The females They do have claws, but like they're really small and on the fifth pair of legs. So kind of closer to the back. And so, yeah, they 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 look like lobsters until you look a little closer. And then they're just a little different, a little weird. Uh, But they still have that similar body plan with the chunky armored tail and 
sort of that lobster face. I don't know how to describe a lobster face, but if you know, you know. Like, it's just like crustacean-y. <laughs> to me, they look like an AI-generated picture of a lobster or something. Like, they don't look quite right. <laughs> yeah, like vaguely correct, but not. They just have these, yeah, the antenna look like long arms in front of their face. They're very thick. Yeah. They're very arthropod looking. Like, yeah. they look very insect-like. For sure. Like, they're they're kind of like big mantis shrimp, but their face is a bit, it reminds me of like those ancient Cambrian ocean creatures where like their eyes aren't really like what you would expect. Like, they're just like big eyes and a lot of appendages near their face. They're kind of cool. Right. But yeah, they're not, so they're actually not that closely related to like true lobsters. So if you think of like red lobster, like that kind of lobster, they are (laughs) in a family called the family Palinuridae and there's 60 species of spiny lobster, most of which live in the tropics because they really like warm water areas. So you're not really going to find them in colder waters Usual, like most of their species are in like the Caribbean Sea, Australasia, South Africa, and the Mediterranean. So they are pretty widely dispersed. But yeah, you're just not really going to see them once the water gets cold, which is relatable. And so are they actually lobsters, like taxonomically? Yeah, they're, it's that weird thing where like, we call some things like true something, like true bugs or in this case, true lobsters. So yeah, they're related to lobsters, but they aren't like, quote unquote, true lobsters, just because right. of the, where they are on the family tree. It's a little silly, but they're they're lobsters for all intents and purposes. And how big can they get? At the very largest, we have the green spiny lobster. It can reach 60 centimeters or 23 inches. So think of like two regular sized rulers. And they're really cool looking. Like, they're just very colorful. They're not, they often have spots on them. Most of them are sort of this pinky red, but some of them have like a bit of a blue on them. They're really neat. Right. And this was one of the, this was one of the animals that you saw while you were scuba diving, right? Yeah, I found a huge dead one. And I was like so confused by it because I thought at first it was a piece of coral because it was so colorful. Like it had, yeah, blues and yellows and cool stuff on it. And again, like I see these sizes like, okay, it can reach reach 60 centimeters. And I think I was just, I had a really messed up sense of size when I was scuba diving because in my mind that thing was like at least three feet long. And I guess that's just like- Oh my gosh. (laughs) Impossible, but like- Maybe I think my size perception was just confused by everything. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 23 inches, that's almost two feet. That's big. Yeah. Like, I guess it is pretty big, especially because like we're just talking about length here. And like when something is really chunky, it just seems bigger, too. So, yeah. Yeah. So where in the sea, I guess, do they live then like shallower or deeper water? Yeah, they're mostly a shallow water animal. Like they seem to prefer reefs, the intertidal zone. But at the deepest, they can get down to like 3,000 meters below the surface. And that's really deep. That's like the abyssal plain, this like the level seafloor. So, you know, they're, 
they're not just in the the shallow areas, but most of what I read talked about them in this intertidal zone. So they do prefer habitats where they have places for them to shelter during the day. That's very important for them. They really like things like rocky outcroppings or chunks of coral, just something that they can hide under, just have a nice den. And that way they can sort of shelter in these little groups of lobsters during the day when there's lots of predators around and they can emerge at night to forage for food in seagrass meadows or the flats between chunks of coral. And, you know, at night it's just a bit safer. It's harder for things to spot them, even though it seems, I always think it it seems like scary to like hang out at night if you're a vulnerable creature, (laughs) but I guess it's safer. So they'll go and do that in the evening um, or sort of at sunset. And in terms of what they're eating, they'll eat most things, including crustaceans, algae, polychaete worms, and mollusks, pretty much whatever is small enough to take on. They are predators, though, and they're actually pretty major predators in their ecosystems. So when they're present, they can have a really big impact on the species composition of a reef. And, you know, that also means that if they disappear from a reef or from a region, there are cascading effects on the reef, like all of these things that they would have been eating, they're going to see a population boom. And yeah, you see that sort of ripple effect in the species of the reef. But yeah, they'll typically do their hunting at night and then go back to their little ocean den at the end of the night, have a little rest. And what's, I guess, hunting them? Because they're pretty big and they're very armored. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess lots of fish will eat them. This is sort of a little bit of a tangent, but I kept encountering the word fin fish when I was reading about lobster. And again, this is one of those moments where I went, I feel like I would know this word if I learned anything about marine biology in my degree, which I did not. (laughs) Um, But I guess finfish is just a word for like any kind of fish that's not like a shellfish. So I don't know. I don't really know why it kept coming up in the lobster literature. Maybe it's just the first time I've noticed the word being thrown around. So if anyone has knowledge on the word finfish, if you can let me know, like, is this just jargon I'm not familiar with? Anyway, all that to say, finfish will eat them if the lobster is small enough for them to actually take on. Sharks will also eat them and also octopus, which makes sense. Octopus love a good crustacean. Yeah. Is finfish just like fish that have fins? Because I guess... You know, if we want to be really technical about it, like everything is a fish. Like we are a fish (laughs) in our family tree. We are non-fin fish. We are not fin fish, but we are fish. (laughs) Oh, taxonomy is so so fun. I love it. So what does the sort of life cycle of a spiny lobster look like? It's kind of interesting because spiny lobsters do something different from other crustaceans. So with most crustaceans, they have this stage of their life right after they hatch when they are a tiny larva and it's called a nauplius larva. And during this stage, they'll float around the water, just sort of hanging out. But the spiny lobsters, they skip that stage. They just have their larva go through the nauplius larval stage within the egg. So when they hatch, they're already a little bit ahead at this phylosomus larval stage. So a bunch of technical terms here. All that to say that basically they go through a different life history than other crustaceans. 
once they're at this larval stage, they do undergo a number of transformations from this point until they reach adulthood. So they'll basically keep growing and molting over and over until they reach a juvenile stage. And all of this can take, you know, some months to a couple of years to complete. Most spiny lobsters will spend the first part of their life in reefs that provide nursery habitats for the baby lobsters. But then once they become adults, they prefer to move into deeper sea reefs where they will eventually reproduce if they're lucky. (laughs) Once they're adults and it's time to mate, the male will deposit a little package of sperm on the sternum of the female where it's in the perfect position for fertilizing the eggs because they're just going to start to emerge from the female. And at this point, the female will will start to scratch the sperm packet and that results in the sperm being released to fertilize the eggs. But I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, okay, so she scratches this little package for like hours and just sort of lets all the sperm be released because I guess the eggs will often be attached to the female. And so, yeah, it's just all right there. Now for the rest of the episode, I wanted to focus on one particular species species, the Caribbean spiny lobster. This is the one that I think I saw that was dead uh, when I was scuba diving, but it's kind of a cool species. It's got some interesting abilities. The first neat thing I picked up on about this lobster, and I think this does go for some other species of spiny lobster, but I just want to talk about the Caribbean one. They will go on these migrations from one habitat to another. And it's thought that this is mostly so that they can avoid the colder waters in the shallows, sort of around autumn when the temperature dips. So it starts to get cold. They're like, okay, we're going to go a little deeper into the water. And somewhat counterintuitively, this water is warmer, I guess, at this part of the year. So on this migration, they will start to form this long single file line. So they'll all sort of gather and just like, very organized way walk down into the deeper ocean and these lines can get up to 50 lobsters or more which i think is just amazing that's so cute it's like a little conga line of yeah lobsters <laughs> like i would love to see this i think it would be so cute like i just love that it's single file too they're they're like being very polite yeah. about it It's like that song, like the ants go marching one by one, (laughs) but it's lobsters. I love that. I mean, humans could never, humans are so bad at forming lines. I remember just having to lead (laughs) any field trip with children and trying to get them to be in a line. And I was just like, why are we even bothering? (laughs) It's a mess. (laughs) Maybe I'm just bad at lines. I don't know. The other amazing thing that these Caribbean spiny lobsters are able to do is that they are able to navigate super well. And I mean, this goes hand in hand with this migration that they do, but also like, you know, they're going out to forage at night and they have a den that they have to get back to. So they have to remember where their den is. And it looks like the way that they're able to do this is they actually sense the magnetic field of the earth. So they basically have this internal compass It's such a good navigation technique that according to the Lohman lab who studies these lobsters, their navigation sense could rival the kind we see in sea turtles and salmon. So I thought that was kind of neat. But the story of how they figured this out is quite funny to me. So Larry Bowles, a doctoral student at the University of North Carolina and his co-author Kenneth Lohman, 
wanted to test this out. So they went and captured spiny lobsters in the Florida Keys and brought them back to their lab in these opaque boxes 10 miles away. They didn't let the lobsters sort of see where they were going. So it wouldn't affect the experiment. And once they were in the lab, they put them in a tank and they measured where the lobsters would walk towards. Like, would they go north? Would they go south? Where were they going? And each time they like put these lobsters in the tank, they would go exactly in the direction of where their den is, like miles and miles away. And then to advance the experiment further, they tested whether the lobsters were using Earth's magnetic field by surrounding the aquarium with coils that produced a magnetic field like the Earth's, but they would switch it around so that different directions would feel like north and south if the lobster was actually detecting magnetic signals. And sure enough, if the lobster was trying to go south and they switched the magnetic signal so that north felt like south, the lobster would then go north. So it looks like they are, in fact, using magnetic signals from the Earth to orient themselves. And I think that's amazing. Like, they just have this internal navigation system. That is amazing. I always wonder when I hear about that, like animals being able to sense magnetic fields, like how that actually works inside their body. Like, what is the process that lets them do that? From what I could gather, it's they think they're not sure, but they think that it's essentially that lobsters have something called magnetite in their bodies. And magnetite is the same thing that compass needles are composed of. So it's it wouldn't be a large amount of magnetite, but it would be like a little bit in parts of their body that would sort of indicate to them, like it would be pulled in different directions and make up an element of their receptors. So yeah, kind of neat that like there's an actual metal in their body doing this. I wish we had that. I have no sense of direction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it made me wonder. I was like, wait, do humans have... Actually, I'm going to Google this. Can humans detect magnetic fields? Let's see. Well, according to PubMed, humans do not sense geomagnetic fields despite contradictory reports. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I do anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like I have a really good sense of direction, but I think it has more to do with the sun. Mm. The last kind of cool thing I wanted to mention about the spiny lobster is what Blathers talks about, the fact that they make this screeching sound. The way I heard it described uh, in the papers I read was more like a rasping sound. Still doesn't sound very appealing. And I think if you picked up a lobster and it made a crazy sound, you would just drop it. So (laughs) it's got to be kind of a weird (laughs) noise. But the way that they do this is like the base of their antenna have a soft extension called a plectrum. And they rub this plectrum over a smooth file on the undersides of the eye. And that's what makes the rasping sound. But what's unique here is that most invertebrates will produce sound by like rubbing something hard on their body. So like a leg against a rough surface and it creates sort of like the the sound is sort of like a stick on a washboard sound. But in this case, the sound they're making is a bit more like a violin because it's a soft thing rubbing against a very smooth surface. And so, yeah, it's it's more like this stringed instrument structure versus like a buzzing, if that makes sense. 
<laughs> but I thought that was really cool. Wow, really cool. Well, that sounds a lot more pleasant than than Blathers made it seem. Yeah, he, he makes everything sound scarier. But, you know, <laughs> think of the lobster as like playing a violin in a musical style that just isn't very appealing to you. It's just like really aggressive. Oh, also, they don't just do it to scare away predators. They will also make the sound to communicate with one another. I should mention that. So it's not just a defensive thing. And how are they doing in the wild, like conservation-wise? The Caribbean spiny lobster is pretty okay in most of its range. They are something that people want to eat. So there is a demand for them. The one that I could find is that the Honduras population is considered overfished. So there are a lot of rules around fishing. Well, you can't, you're not really supposed to eat Honduras spiny lobster, but they are a species that tends to be illegally overfished quite a bit. Even when I was in Cozumel, the scuba guides were saying that like a lot of people will illegally capture lobster within the marine reserve there to sell. They also said they were like, if someone tries to offer you a huge Caribbean lobster, don't eat it because it'll just taste bad because the big ones taste worse. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Probably wouldn't eat it anyway, but like also good to know. Overall, though, the these lobsters, it takes like two to three years for a lobster to mature to a, re- a reproductive age. So that is a bit of a long time, especially considering that they live for 20 years and they only reproduce once a year. So they are vulnerable to being overfished in various regions. If you're concerned about it and you're being offered spiny lobster, a really nice thing is to try and find restaurants where they have their seafood certified by OceanWise or Seafood Watch. And so you'll see like a little Seafood Watch or OceanWise symbol on your menus. And that can sort of guide your decision on whether you want to eat the seafood option. Those organizations define more specifically whether the seafood you're eating is from fisheries that are or are not being overfished. So if you see that symbol, it means that it's more likely that the fish or yeah, lobster or seafood you're eating is less harmful to the ocean ecosystem than maybe an alternative option. So if you're looking for some guidance, those are good resources and really good websites. I think they also have some apps too. Awesome. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for sharing all that great info on spiny lobster. Really cool. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And go look at some pictures of spiny lobsters because they're cool. Definitely. Yeah, thank you everyone so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. And don't forget to take a look at our shop at Etsy.com slash shop slash Beyond Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.